I'm Natalia Loback, and this is Change Course. Power, Influence, and Culture. As mentioned in my last episode, I spent some of my vacation time this summer catching up on podcasts, newsletters, and articles that I hadn't had a chance to read over the wintertime. One of the podcasts that I regularly listen to is Akimbo by Seth Godin. And as mentioned, Seth is a very interesting thought and culture leader. He has a whole bunch of books as well as a ton of different uh, articles and podcasts. His blog is really interesting. And uh, I just love listening to the podcast and a lot of his thinking around work and vocation and passion has been a real inspiration for why I started Chart House and the way that I do my work and run my business. So one of the cool episodes that happened over the summer was titled Creating the Conditions for Change. And I've linked it in the show notes. Go and check it out. In this episode, Seth talks about his experience changing the culture at a summer camp and the specific actions that he took to make that change happen. And what's really interesting is he talks about himself and, you know, there were other adults there, obviously, but, you know, himself as the adult leading a bunch of teenagers, right? You know, 15 to 17 year olds who are not always the most excited or motivated about anything. I mean, I'm sure we all remember when we were teens and just how angsty that period can be. But Seth found a way in and also persevered through the change that he wanted to see happen. And the change and how he did it was that instead of looking at how people could improve and talking about feedback or like, you know, doing things differently, how people can do things differently and providing them those communications. What he did was he decided he was going to make an active effort to catch people doing a good job. And it's interesting because I think this works particularly well for the age and demographic that he was working with. And so I had to giggle a little bit thinking back to my own uh, summer camp leadership experiences over the years. But uh, what he found was over time, all of a sudden, these notes, these visible cues around how many or how often a person had been noticed for doing something well, and he was talking about using something as simple as a pink post-it note, all of a sudden this became something coveted. This became a marker of status. This became a marker of status and affiliation. And this links to another concept that Seth talks about that I also use. And I come at it a little bit differently, but I like the way Seth describes it because when he talks about status roles, he talks about two things. He talks about status and he talks about affiliation as driving the way humans self 
organize. So there's another episode, Status Rules, that actually re-ran very recently. So I've linked that one as well. And this is where this concept of power and culture connect in connected change. What I like about this concept is that it's very, very simple. And it's linked to why I have said in previous episodes around rewards and recognition, why rewards and recognition need to be, first of all, visible. And second of all, a component needs to come from a person with power. So many of these recognition, you know, these sort of newfangled recognition programs that, you know, companies throw a ton of money at and peers can offer rewards or points to their peers for a good job. It's actually meaningless because it doesn't link to any visibility by leadership. There's no visibility into the power structure. And there's also no way to move or adjust your status based on those rewards and recognition. So they aren't very valuable. Even though you could gain enough points to win an iPad or something like that, it's still not super, super valuable. Interestingly, Status and affiliation is a really important way that you can use power in an organization for the purposes of good and for the purposes of change. And Seth's example that he talks about in this podcast, Creating the Conditions for Change, is a great example of how you use power for good and how you use power for change. So really importantly, when you're in a leadership position in an organization, you have by the position in the company and your authority, you have power. And you may have power because you have a large team or you have a large breadth of responsibility. Maybe you have a big budget. Maybe you've got a, you know, a title that would show that. And, you know, power can come from either how you're described. So, you know, whether you have a, you know, a certain type of title, people will pay attention to you. I've noticed this in some industries where, for example, in sales, somebody will be given the title account executive, even though they're fairly junior or fairly green. But the reasoning behind the title is that it confers a certain status to those that they are approaching in their line of work. So if you were being called um, as a prospect by someone on the phone who was, for example, an account coordinator, you might not pick up thinking that person was just um, you know, a project manager, an organizer, or a secretary, or something like that. But if you see the word account executive all of a sudden, you're like, oh, well, that person must have some sort of status or pull or importance within their organization. Potentially, they're somebody that I should or would want to talk to. Um, this is also kind of evident. I, I giggle a little bit because it's a bit evident in the banking industry as well. I've never met so many vice presidents as I have in banking. And essentially, a vice president in a bank is 
really, you know, a sort of manager or senior manager level, it's really not, you know, there's a thousand vice presidents, um, but the title is there for a reason. It's to show a certain status to those potentially within, but I think also outside the organization. Banks tend to be super, uh, very hierarchical as well. So you can see that reflected in the titling. Maybe they ran out of levels and so they had to, you know, include that one because they have so many levels of hierarchy in the organization. I'm not entirely sure, but uh, it is interesting. When you are in a position, though, of real leadership, you may see that reflected in your title. Um, You're also going to see that, you know, reflected in your breadth of responsibility. And those who you're leading within the organization, both directly in your team, but also in other parts of the organization will view you and respond to you as somebody with power, somebody in a position of power. So status is one way that power shows up in the organization. The other way is affiliation. So if you are you know, a leader in the organization or seen as a front runner or seen as, you know, a person who has, you know, who's, who's doing a lot of good things or you're highly favored. I'll put it that way, highly favored in the organization. Affiliation around you is important. So those who find themselves affiliated with you are going to be, uh, you know, seeing that power show up. So, um, it's interesting. Think about where this shows up or how you see this in your everyday life. I'll give you an example. I, you know, I joined um I joined a group this summer that I have never joined before uh, that's focused on um, you know, a specific type of recreational activity. I won't get into it because it's, you know, it's similar to like, you know, joining a yoga studio or joining um you know, a biking club or something like that, right? Or a hiking group, whatever it is. So I joined this group and it's quite large and there's a diversity of skill. Um, But as, you know, I had talked about, I think I've talked about it in a previous episode, the culture that the leader has established is one of high inclusivity and also this idea that everyone belongs. And so you really feel this in the way that the leader interacts with everyone who comes out honestly, this person is just a bundle of joy. Um, This person exudes joy every time a new person shows up. There is this sense of happiness and uh, joy in interaction. Every time I've gone, I've been invited to uh, a group coffee interaction that happens after, you know, the activity. It's it's a very flat um, and, you know, equality focused type of group. And that is the culture that the leader is setting. I had a, you know, a sidebar conversation with somebody else uh, who I had met in the group. And this kind of happens, you know, as you're, you know, interacting or engaging or, you know, doing your thing. And this person was very quick to tell me that they knew the leader personally and they were part of some other small group that was meeting and doing other things on the side. And I kind of thought to myself, okay, that's interesting. I mean, it doesn't really matter to me personally, and it doesn't influence or impact the reason why I am personally there. But I thought it was interesting that this person was so intent upon telling me this, 
that they knew the person personally, that they um, were part of this other small group that did other things. And, you know, there was a secondary group that met, but, you know, it wasn't really well known and she was part of it. And so this is where, you know, you can see that status role type thing taking place. I'm sure many of you have had the experience when you walk into an organization on the first day and there's always that one first person who befriends you. Usually that person is highly status oriented and they're trying to figure out where you fit and where they fit. And they'll tell you, actually that interaction can be quite useful. They will tell you about the status of everyone or the perceived status of pretty much everyone in your team versus those who have high status in the organization. I always find that very, very interesting. And usually sometimes, um, you know, the person is, you know, bringing you in out of the goodness of their heart. Maybe that's part of the culture of the organization. I'm sure some organizations run that way. Other times it's because they're trying to figure out if they can increase their status. I mean, that's one way you can do it um, by increasing your influence. And what better way to do that than by befriending new people who come into the organization? Just an example that I've noticed over the years uh, that happens frequently and repeatedly. So think about where status shows up or where status roles or where interactions around status and affiliation show up in your own life. Um, You know, an example that I can immediately think of is uh, in an exercise class, um, you know, there are certain people that are always at the front and those people may have a special relationship with the instructor. Very interesting, right? It's fascinating to watch. Um, but this happens all the time, right? You know, you're on a first name basis with the instructor, you're up at the front, um, you're always in the same spot. And if somebody, a new person comes and takes your spot, oh boy, you're getting side eye. You're getting glares from all the people around you. That's a great example of status and affiliation, affiliation to that fitness instructor and status related to where you sit. Uh, let me tell you, I did a couple soul cycle classes, um, a few years back and boy, do they have status and affiliation down. I mean, that is part of the culture and of the architecture of that particular, how can you say it? Like cultish type of environment. Um, soul cycle, if you've ever done it, status and affiliation writ large all over that culture, you can see it. Um, you know, another place that that shows up for those of you, you've probably been doing online, maybe you've been doing online exercise over, uh, the pandemic period, Peloton. Uh, if you've been doing Peloton, you'll notice that there are specific conditions by which you may be getting a shout out from your favorite instructor on a live show. Uh, you know, depending on how many classes you've gone to, uh, the number of rides you've completed, There are so many great examples of where that shows up. Status and affiliation. A little bit harder to do in that virtual type environment, but it still shows up. Rewards and recognition. Let me tell you, that reward of being noticed and being called out and getting that virtual fist bump from your instructor around, you know, 800 rides, a thousand rides. I mean, come on, what kind of great motivation is that, right? Fantastic. But you can see how these things 
are built into the culture. A fist bump from all the other people in the class that you don't really know, and maybe you might know one or two of them, but you know it's not as meaningful as hearing it live from the instructor over you know the class broadcast. Anyway, I digress. But you can see how status and affiliation play a really important role. And then as illustrated, how you can use that as a tool for change. And it's really important that you as a change leader, you must have that status baked into your position, but then you also need to build the power of affiliation. So what does it mean to people to follow you or be with you or be associated with you. That's something as a leader that you need to pay very special attention to. So how can you build out change by using status and affiliation as an impetus for good? So one of the ways, I mean, the, you know, the example that Seth uses is fantastic in that it talks about those rewards and those pieces of recognition. So as a leader, look very carefully at what you are rewarding and how, whether that is explicit or implicit. So what are the behaviors that you are promoting? And what are the behaviors that you are just tolerating? And this is where there's a bit of introspection needed because the blind spots often for leadership are around what are you tolerating? And this can be hard to face and sometimes to pick apart. If you want to see a specific change in the way people are working or the culture that you have in your team or your organization, as I've mentioned back in August, uh, you know, there's a very, uh, you know, a very strong journey through some of the culture elements and connected change, but you're really looking at what is the culture that you want to build and what are the elements that you want to see then from the position of status and affiliation, how are you building that reward and recognition? Again, behavioral science, fairly simple to bring about those changes in your organization that you want to see. So the last thing that I want to mention is this idea of affiliation and how this actually drives back to one of the concepts that I introduced very early on in this podcast around the diffusion of innovation or the adoption curve, change adoption. We, you know, we talk about that bell curve. We talk about early adopters. We talk about um, innovators uh, right at the beginning. And then we talk about that early majority and that late majority. Your late majority is driven by the fear of being left behind. And this is around status and affiliation. So status then driving the affiliation piece and fear of being left behind is an affiliation drive. So if you are in an organization and all of a sudden you notice everybody jumping on the bandwagon or everybody doing a change or everybody moving forward with something and you're still kind of not really there, 
There are people who will move through that change because they're afraid of being left behind. This is, again, how you can use that affiliation piece to drive change in the latter half of larger changes. And that speaking to that fear of being left behind can also be a motivator for that late majority. Now, I mean, let's not talk about laggards because they're the ones who never want to change. But that late majority, how you're accessing them has to do with affiliation. And, you know, we'll get into in other episodes exactly how to work through and how to pick that apart and design interventions to access that group. So if you have a chance, go back and listen to uh, the two podcasts that I linked. Check out the show notes. And I hope that you found this interesting and I hope it helps you understand how power and influence and culture are connected and why they're such important parts of the work that I do and in Connected Change. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, I invite you to like, rate, share, and subscribe because it helps others find us. Our music is Levity by Emily Clausen. Change Course can be found wherever you get your podcasts. And we have an accessible version with fully edited captions on YouTube. You can find the link to this version on www.charthouse.ca in the Change Course podcast show notes. While you're visiting us, sign up for the Change Navigator newsletter. We're launching shortly, and you'll get a monthly dispatch of all things change and hear about the upcoming launch of ConnectedChange.com. Thank you for listening, and remember, it's never too late to change course.